five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone. Episode 94 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, not bad, Michael. I just got a new vehicle today, uh, and uh, everything's good. And yep. uh, played around a golf, just got rained out. A little bit of rain on the 18th hole, and that was it. <laughs> so oh, we got good. lucky. Yeah, we got all lucky. Good. <laughs> all good today for you. So all around, you know, golf game, new car. And we have a new, that's a good lead in because we have a new guest today who is from outside the world of hockey. Although he did play the game as a kid. Uh, he did play at a decent level. He won two great cups with the Toronto Argonauts, spent most of his NFL career with the Indianapolis Colts. In 2003, became the first kicker to convert every field goal and point after during the regular season and playoffs. He was a pro bowler, a first and second team all-star. Uh, but retires one of the most accurate field goal kickers in NFL history. Please, Michael, Mike Vanderjat. Mike, first off, thanks for joining us. And how you keep it? No, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you guys doing? Squid, you good? There he is. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got your new Prius you were waiting on? Is that what you got the Prius? No, I didn't get a Prius. I got a Jeep uh, Grand Cherokee L. Oh, okay, nice. That a boy. Yeah. What color? Got it. Uh, silver. Okay. So, All right. nice. Won't show tires. the dirt. Won't show the dirt as much. And uh, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> With blue tires? <laughs> Not blue fucking tires. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the, the lighting on the inside, you know, you have that ambient lighting. Yeah. It's yeah. blue. Okay. So, All know, right. So, All right. That so could keep... fit for the Argos. That could fit for the Leafs. That could fit, you know, for Bulls? a lot of teams. The Colts, Cowboys, everything. It's yeah. got us all wrangled up into one. <laughs> all under one. Now, Mike, how you keep – are you living in the Buffalo area still? And uh, how you keeping busy? I uh, I just bought a house right on Lake Ontario, actually. I, I wanted to be close to friends and family, uh, but I wanted to stay on the American side, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for those Canadians out there. But, um, but I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, six months of the year. And then uh, when it gets too hot there, I come – North and when it gets too cold here, I go south. So I, uh, I'm the youngest snowbird on record, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? I honestly, I can't blame you for wanting to live in the U.S. with the way with the way everything is so expensive in Canada and and everything else. But uh, I, yeah. I, I give you a break there. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, Mike, I'm not sure if you if you're aware of this or not. Yeah. But that's Rick freaking Vive. You know that, right? <laughs> like, that's the former me. captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but there Papa you go. Bear. That, that is. Papa, he tells me every Papa day. Bear. <laughs> and listen, as well he should. That is one of the most prestigious honors in Canadian sports. You got being that the captain right. of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, uh, yeah. Yes. I'm, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm thankful and honored to be. Uh, I would I would say we consider each other buddies now, Rick, don't we? 
Absolutely. Okay, good. Then, Way uh, left of the road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we can't, give, we can't give that away, I don't think. We don't, we don't have it. It's too uh, good yeah, to we, just throw out there willy-nilly. We could do a little teaser on it, but I think that idea is absolutely awesome. We'll save that one for the end, and we'll give the people a little teaser maybe. just to. I've got, I've got a great addition for it that I haven't told Rick yet that it's, it's going to be really oh. freaking good. <laughs> well, these guys, for the listeners out there aren't aware, these guys met last weekend at an event in Collingwood, north of the city of Toronto, uh, and they became fast and furious friends right off the bat. And one, and Squid actually called me on the way home, and he said, you know, I got a guy for next week, Mike Bandage. I said, hey, of course, and he said, you got to listen to this guy. First off, what he's doing in this world of NFTs, first off, the guy's funny as hell. So you got to listen to this guy's <laughs> character. And yeah. secondly, he said, the stuff he's doing with these NFTs is phenomenal. It just blew him away. And he said, well, let's get talking about that. So, Mike, why don't you fill us in what's happening the, in that world? And the slap-ons, too. Slap-it-on. Yes. Or slap-it-on, slap it on. whatever. Slap-it-on. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I'll get you uh, up well, I thought you said strap-it-on. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, that's not the first time I've heard <laughs> strap-ons and slap-it-in and all kinds of – yeah. So, uh, Mike, how much do you know about NFTs? I know a little bit about it, I, I, but my education on it is probably like mostly the common guy out here. Not much, but I do have an idea. Tell them about Jerry uh, Meehan. Well, we'll get into that. Jerry Meehan actually actually contacted me some time ago because I'm in the appraisal business now and doing sports appraisals after my collection. And Jerry contacted and he wants to do something in the NFT world with memorabilia related to the athletes. And I actually want you guys, we, we actually did a three-way email between Rick myself and Jerry right after and we suggested he you two connect and have a chat and we're going to arrange that when we get off the air so that's where we're going with that part also Mike awesome he, he I was, love it he, he was my general manager in Buffalo Mike and he's a lawyer and he's very interested in it and I told him well you need to talk to the the man himself because he knows every damn thing about it <laughs> Well, I, I, that sounds awesome. I, uh, I actually had a call with uh, Bernie Nichols earlier today about it. Um, you know, Bernie's like, who else do you want? Bernie's obviously got a relationship with Wayne and Mario and Temu Solani. Um, Bernie's part of that elite 70 goal club yep. that uh, we would love to be able to get all guys that have scored 70 goals and do NFTs based around that. Um, Dennis Morokov that we met up there uh, at Collingwood, he wants to be part of it as well. He's in the 60-goal club, and no slouch being a two-time 50-goal scorer. We want to uh, we want to start doing some stuff around 50-goal scorers, headlined by – I don't know, Mike, if you know this, but he was the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, the, the cool part about our NFTs for slapping on is that there's a thing called a utility. Do you know what a utility is, Mike? It's like that yeah. kind of, it's an, it's an add on basically that once you've bought the NFT, what else do you get it? That gives you a little bit of perks. Okay. So our slap it on app has the ability that we, somebody buys Rick fives NFT. We can geofence Rick into their house and they can stand in their living room with our app and scan it, and they can hold family photos with Rick standing there and take photos with him as if he's there. It's uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. So anybody that buys our NFTs with our athletes, we can we will geofence them into the house and, and make it – well, 
unlike any other NFT that you buy out there, which is which is really cool. We're also um, developing with a company called uh, Department of Good. Uh, they are creating their own, I guess, space to buy an NFT. Now, if you buy an NFT right now out there, most places charge you $120 gas fees. And you're looking at going, what the heck is a gas fee? And it literally is exactly what it sounds like. It's literally having to pay for gas to generate these NFTs. That's the extent of what I know about it. So please don't ask me to explain in greater detail because it's not going to happen. But uh, uh, these people are doing it for a dollar. So instead of that extra $120 that is not part of the purchase of an NFT, ours is down to a dollar because we are very much uh, a green kind of place to buy, which allows just the regular guy to buy NFTs and not just the elite kind of investors with thousands of dollars to, to throw around. Well, one of the things that excited Squid that he told me about, and let's see if we got, let's see if the translation came through as it should have. I doubt it, but we'll give it a shot. Okay. So <laughs> he suggested that the, the buyer of an NFT could put a picture on the wall and on that picture, no, that if you, Squid, let me finish and you can fill in. And then what okay. they do is if they point the app from their phone at the picture or whatever it is on the wall, the out, out figure of the athlete, the guy he used was Kawhi Leonard as an example. So Kawhi Leonard would be on a, a shape on the wall. You would point the app at it and then it would generate the Philadelphia shot. And you'd watch that on the screen on the wall. Is that so? That's two, two separate things. I mean, we can do that. We can, we can, we can add a, a decal to yeah. an NFT that allows you to do that. But these are just decals unrelated to NFTs. They're, we are a company with two different avenues of, so you can buy, or we would, you know, a game day giveaway, first 10,000 people into the Raptors arena would get a slap it on of Kawhi Leonard. You, you point our phone to it. And one, you can have a commercial that there's a little bit of a five second yeah, bumper that would create a sponsorship. And then the video of, of Kawhi uh, taking the shot would then appear on your phone and it would hover in midair and you can push another button and it goes to your phone. So it's, and listen, we're drinking from a fire hose as a company because the opportunities are endless as to where these things can all get generated. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, uh, uh, but Mike, let's get started here. With, let, I want to talk about your early years growing up yeah. in, in Oakville. Okay. Um, you played many sports. I did. And then at some point you had to decide, well, I can't play them all. I got to drop one. You were a triple A hockey player with the Oakville Rangers. <laughs> I sh and, and the leading scorer every year too. I was, uh, <laughs> listen, my parents hooked me up with a lot of athletic ability and, and I don't, I don't hide from it. I, I, I could have gone a lot of different ways in life. Uh, I would have had a basketball scholarship. I, my mom contemplated sending me to Europe because she's from England to live with mm -hmm. family. I was, you know, the last cut for the Canadian national team that was very political, by the way, for soccer. I should have been on the team. I should have been. But anyway, I digress. It was 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, but she wanted, to, she wanted to send me to Europe to play soccer. Um, you know, and then before you know it, you get a football scholarship. Before you know it, you're in the CFL. Before you know it, you're in the NFL. Before you know it, you're the most accurate kicker in the history of the NFL. And I honestly think like I, I underachieved in life because I feel like I had so much more athletic ability to offer than just a kicker. So it was, uh, I mean, I, 
I was the best in the world at what I did. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like uh, kicking is it, it just I just be, it just became easy. And before you know it, you're like, OK, I'll kick when, you know, I probably could have done a lot more things. Well, we do want to get into that and that aspect of it. And we will get to that. And I, I did. There is a number of questions because, you, as I said, you're the first football player we've had on. So there's some great questions I hope we have that are going to dig, you know, pull that out of you. But yep. just go back to the your, your parents and the, the now Rick explain a little bit the athletic background of your parents. Maybe explain that to the listeners because that'll give an idea where you came from with the soccer and how you came about being the type of athlete you were. So my dad is born and raised in Holland, um, and. You may or may not know, but Holland is the tallest country in the world. So although my my dad was six foot, I'm six five. So you know he's got nephews that are six seven. They're also goalkeepers in Holland. So uh, the height came from the my dad's side of the family. He came over to Canada by himself when he was 18 years old, which is a crazy decision. Uh, my mom was born and raised in England. Um, she came over with her family. So my my mom and dad, although from Europe, they both met in Canada. Um, and then, you know, I, I just, that's, my dad played soccer. So, you know, you grow yeah. up playing soccer and hand-eye coordination and running and all those kind of things. And I've always said to, to, to kids every time I coach them, you know, when parents are like, no, we got we to gotta play hockey 12 months out of the year. And, you know, you're just like, no, you don't. You know, <laughs> at that age, play them all. Because when the when when you're playing soccer and you grow up playing hockey, now the puck's in your skate and you can quickly give it a kick, quick kick to your to your blade and those kind of things. And hand-eye coordination is important. And the more you play basketball, you you get quicker feet from defense. So for me, I, I strongly believe that um, everything I played helped with everything I played. You know what I mean? Now, uh, going to no, you accepted scholarship at Michigan sorry. State. Oh, to play quarterback yep. and place kicker. What happened there? Uh, Lex Bird. I don't know if you know who Lex Bird is. He had a football camp in Toronto. Uh, back in that day, you should you went to high school in Canada for five years. So after my fourth year of high school, I expected fully to go back to high school for my fifth year. After the fourth year, I went to a football camp, the Lex Bird football camp in Toronto. A Michigan State recruiter stood up before the camp and said, hey, if anybody can punt, come see me after this meeting. So I was like, okay, I'll go show him. So I, I went out and punted for him. He's like, man, you, you're, you're good. Um, we, we really like you. Uh, I ended up being the MVP of the camp as a quarterback. So I literally got a scholarship offer to Michigan State the next day. So I went there as a quarterback and a punter primarily. Um, but to be honest with you, I was uh, I was an 18 year old kid from Canada going to big boy football in the states. So all of these guys lifted weights and were so focused. And I got there, and you know, I never I didn't lift weights in high school. I just kind of you know whatever sport it was, you go play. So to some extent, I felt like I was a little bit, you know, out of my element, if that's mm -hmm. possible. That those guys were just so finely tuned machines at being American football college athletes division one and i just happened to be at a good athlete and ended up at a scholarship so after a couple of years at michigan state i ended up leaving um it's funny though that and i don't know what he i don't know what he was trying to do but george perlis who was the head coach at the time brought me into his office and he said you're just not a very good athlete <laughs> and i almost fell out of my i almost fell out of my chair I, 
he might have been trying to get the best out of me or just seeing yeah. what my reaction was. But I was just like, okay, dude. Okay. We, so I, so I, I went to a junior college in California and I actually was the starting quarterback, punter, and kicker. So if, if we didn't get a first down, they, they would have to throw my kicking shoe onto the field on fourth <laughs> down so I could take my quarterback shoe off, put my kicking shoe on, and then either punt or kick the field goal. So, it's you know, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, you, you talked about playing many sports and, uh, you know, I have always said that like, okay, for instance, you take two hockey players and one guy's like this good and the other guy's a little bit below him, but this guy's a real good athlete and this guy's just a hockey player. Well, guess what? If I'm coaching these two kids, I can make, this guy a lot better hockey player because he's a better athlete and i strongly believe in that too i, I really believe that if you're a, a good all-around athlete you can be good at any sport really if you really apply yourself absolutely you know and, and when you say that the hockey player he's probably reached his max at that point where the athlete is maybe a little mm -hmm. less but because he's not a great hockey player, but he's a great athlete, you can take him and, and like you said, go up a couple notches because, you know, because he's such a great athlete, he has that ability to, to learn, to change, to do things that he never even knew he could do. And that's what made him the athlete that he was. You're absolutely right. Well, like you, you threw, then you punted, then you kicked. <laughs> All in the same game, <laughs> maybe maybe in the same uh, in amount the same of downs. series for sure. Absolutely, I did. Absolutely. Now, for those out there, the school that uh, Mike went to is Allen Allen Hancock College in Santa Maria, California. Uh, he mentioned it was a community college. They didn't have boarding or anything there, but so how did you end up there? And talk about how the recruiting started. Then go back to Division One. You know, I don't, I don't remember. There was a guy that played for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a Canadian linebacker. I don't remember what his name was, but somehow he was that he went to that junior college, and somehow I got the name of the junior college. I ended up just going there on a whim. Ended up beating out the quarterback that was there the year before. Uh, I got two scholarship offers actually after the season. One from Long Beach State. And uh, Larry Brown, I think, the, the defensive back for the Raiders, the Hall of Famer, was the head coach at Long Beach State at the time. So when I went and met with him, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Bowling Greens for another visit. And Mike Farragelli is the son of Joe Farragelli, who coached the Alouettes. Yeah. He was my recruiting guy with Bowling Green. And then kind of the 11th hour, West Virginia came in and said, hey, we need a punter. Uh, why don't you come out and, and have a visit? And when I visited West Virginia's campus, it was it was just a no-brainer compared to Long Beach and Bowling Green, and I, I ended up getting a scholarship to West Virginia. Um, I was going to – okay, so, you know, you're probably sitting there now. You're You know, it, it's got to be frustrating for you because you know you're probably as good as some of these guys. You've got that athletic background. you got the athletic ability, obviously, to be a good athlete, obviously, further – but was at this point you just figured in your life your future as a quarterback was probably going away and you better start focusing on the punting? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't know how or why, but you just obviously, again, you have two paths in life. you got the quarterback path and you got the kicking path. And, you know, when you grow up kicking a ball your whole life, it just becomes that kind of natural thing. What's crazy is uh, there's a couple of crazy stories. When I was at West Virginia, I punted my junior year. Uh, they then brought in a – a kid, 
Todd Sauerbrunn, who ended up beating me out of my own punting job. Um, and he ended up getting drafted, I think, the first or second round by the Bears. Um, so he was actually really good. And then I looked around and said, okay, well, if he's taking my job, I'm going to go take the kicker's job. So I ended up kicking field goals <laughs> my senior year. Um, after, And that guy ended up being my holder, which is crazy. I beat the guy out, and then he holds <laughs> field goals for me. So uh, that, that's that was a pretty cool story. And then uh, in the offseason – uh, between junior and senior year, we had a dunk contest. Our football team had a dunk contest just for something fun to do. I was the only white guy in the contest, and I ended up winning the dunk contest, which is crazy in itself. And the head coach was like, what the hell just happened? We've got our kicker winning the dunk contest. Like, what What do we have in this guy? So literally the next day, I became the front row of the hands team, which is when the other team's doing the onside kick. You've yeah. got your receivers and linebackers, you know, ready to yeah. catch the ball and make sure they don't get it. And here I am, the kicker is the front row of the hands team. So um, <laughs> if, that, if that tells you anything about, you know, me being more than a kicker, that would be it. Now, I was going to ask you, how mentally tough was it for you to stay focused as a punter and, and a field goal kicker than you became? And at least now you got on to that part to be the front row. So there's a little something there for you, but – Take us through a typical day for you as a Division One punter and how you would work out. Well, it's it's not it's not crazy, you know. We would literally, if a if a practice is two and a half hours long, we would be involved in practice for maybe twenty minutes. <laughs> so the other two hours, we are yeah. literally on the on the other practice field, either playing football, golf, or you know maybe we're inside working out. But it is. When, when guys – when we're in two days and those offensive linemen who have shoving each other, shoving defensive linemen around for five hours, and they look at us and we're like, all right, let's go play golf. And they're like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> it, is, it is very much true that uh, when you're a field goal kicker, you better make kicks because, you know, the, the theory, all you do is kick. You know, I've heard it a million times. So if all you do is kick, then you better make it. Yeah, but, okay, so – I mean, I, I I get these guys talk of you guys like that. At the same time, you gotta you gotta look at it from a a, a broader perspective and and look at it and say, well, yeah, but guess what? When there's two seconds left in the game, and I gotta kick a 45 yard field goal to tie the game or win the game, like that's a lot of pressure, and you guys don't understand that. Like, so piss off, leave me alone. <laughs> well, it's absolutely true. You know, it's, it's one of those jobs that everybody wants until it's time to actually do what, what's needed of you, right? Like everybody wants to just hang out for two hours and do nothing at practice. But I hate to tell you, like you said, you can stand around for two and a half hours and maybe kick a couple extra points. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden you're either down three or down two or the game's tied and you've really done nothing. And now you're basically either going to win the game or lose the game. And all you did was take two steps and whack a ball. So it's, uh, it's very pressure packed. It, since I've retired and I've watched a lot of football, it's, it, you don't realize the, the magnitude of what you're watching when you're in the moment. But after you leave the NFL, you're like, holy cow, this is pressure. Like it's yeah. the, the NFL, for example, in the playoffs last year, uh, darn near every kick, every game came down to a kick, yeah. somewhere, one way or another. It was, and they all made them, and it was fantastic. But it just shows the level of importance to have a good field goal kicker for sure. 
Well, I want to get into that in a couple of minutes when we get to your NFL part, especially with the kickers and, and where they, where they, how they've grown into the role and the significance on the ball club. But just going back to you, your graduation year, any talk of teams taking you in the NFL? And I know, then even talk a step further coming back to Canada. So I was drafted after my junior year. I was drafted by Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, yep. So, and I didn't even really, I didn't know it until my senior year at some point. I don't know whether I looked it up or somebody said something. I was just like, oh, really? I didn't, I didn't even know. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, the bells and whistles that you might think. But um, And there was a senior day, and every school, every big-time school has a senior day for all of their NFL caliber, NFL-eligible guys to go on and show their stuff. And I wasn't involved in any of it, so – you know, in the NFL Combine that they have every year in Indianapolis, I wasn't invited to that. Um, you know, I I was 15 for 19 my senior year kicking field goals. Uh, I didn't kick off, so my, I, I would say my NFL grade was probably pr- pretty low at the time. I talk about Canada. A couple stints. Things well, aren't going so well. <laughs> it's it's a crazy story. I yeah. I, uh, I was. Playing for Saskatchewan, I went there and I actually competed as both the punter and the kicker. Dave Ridgeway was the kicker, so yeah. the chances of me beating him out was pretty slim. But I ended up beating out the punter, Brett, Brent Maddich, and uh, unfortunately I took his jersey number. He was 13, so here I am, the punter 13, replacing the punter 13. Yeah. After two games, I uh, my sister was getting married back in Burlington. I was given permission to go to the, the wedding. I uh, I came back to Saskatchewan in time for practice and didn't go. Don Matthews, who's the head coach at the time, calls me in his office next day and, fi- and cuts me. Um, <laughs> or rookie, rookie mistakes is what he said. Uh, I went back to West Virginia and I helped coach the team that we ended up going to the national championship. I got my degree. Uh, I then signed in Toronto in 94 with Bob Obilovich. Wayne Lamley was the kicker at the time. Um, I was cut maybe after a week. I went back to West Virginia where I was dating a girl. I worked at Koenig Sporting Goods for four twenty-five an hour selling shoes in a sporting goods store. I, I would watch the CFL stats every week, and when Lamley would miss, and he would have a bad punting average, and I'd call Obilovich. Are you like, listen, are you ready to make a change yet? Nah, Mike, you know, we'll let you know, Mike. We'll let you know. <laughs> So a year later, I signed back in Toronto, you know, lasted a few more weeks in camp, got cut again. And then Hamilton picked me up because Paulus Baldison had a less than stellar game in their first preseason game. Uh, I, I practiced with Hamilton. They went to Ottawa for a game. They didn't bring me to the game, but the head coach uh, said, listen, if Paul struggles, we're making a change. And I was like, okay. So I watched the game. Paul goes five for five and kicks the game-winning field goal. <laughs> so I was cut the next day. Um, a year later, I signed with the Minnesota Fighting Pike of the Arena Football League. And the offensive coordinator that was in Saskatchewan, Ray Yock, is now the head coach in Minnesota. So he's like, listen, Mike, I'm bringing you in. I love what you did in Saskatchewan. We're not going to have you try out. You're just our kicker. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So – Two games into that year, I kept kicking the ball out of bounds, which is not good if you're in kickoff in the Arena League. Supposed to kick it into the net. I kept yanking it out of bounds. After two games, I was cut. And then uh, I signed back in Toronto 
And the head coach of Toronto is Don Matthews, the guy that cut me in Saskatchewan three years earlier. So I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> this is going to be short-lived. So um, we're had a, we had a preseason game. They just signed Flutie. Uh, me and this American kicker were alternating kicks. We go into overtime. It's not my turn to kick, so my jersey's out. You know, I'm standing around just watching, and all of a sudden we're driving the ball. Don Matthews walks over. He goes, listen, I want you to take the next one. I was just like, okay, well, that's interesting. So I tuck my shirt back in. I get ready. 38-yarder, Doug Flutie's holding. I'm like, oh, my God, the greatest player in the history of the CFL is my holder. It's to win a game. It's to win a job. You know, I made the 38-yarder, and then, uh, you know, we went 15-3. and three. Our two years in Toronto, yeah. we won both Grey Cups. Yeah, I was the Canadian wow. MVP of the Grey Cup in the 96. I went 5-for-5 five five in a snowstorm. You know, I then went 4-for-4 four four in, in, in a Grey Cup the following year, so I'm 9-for-9 nine nine in two Grey Cups. And uh, the, a real kind of funny story that I keep telling everybody. Well, I have two, so I hope you have a minute. We do. Uh, we have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> then, I'll talk, then I'll talk slow. <laughs> so Doug Flutie wins the CFL MVP of the Grey Cup in 96. I win Canadian MVP. Doug wins a truck. Mike wins two tickets, Canadian Airlines flies. Okay, so he wins <laughs> – he wins 30 grand, I win 300 bucks. <laughs> so the following year, Doug's the Grey Cup MVP. He wins another truck. I go four for four. They give the Canadian MVP to Paul Mazzotti. Doug gives Paul the truck. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, hello. <laughs> How about the kicker that went nine for nine? Can I get a truck? But anyway, it was uh, it was pretty funny. And then, you know, I started having, I think I had eight. NFL workouts uh, after that season because I was an unrestricted free agent. So I worked out for the uh, I worked out for the Bears, the Jets, the Vikings, the Colts, the Seahawks. I don't remember who else, but uh, my my Jets story is that Bill Parcells was the head coach at the time. I went out to New York to try out. I'm doing my tryout and I look up in the building and Bill Parcells is sitting in the window watching my workout and I'm just like, oh, okay, well. And, you know, 10 or 15 minutes later, I, my, my workout was terrible. It was cold. It was rainy. I didn't hit it very well. I look up in the window, and the curtains are closed. <laughs> I, think, I think Bill had seen enough. So I, uh, I wasn't signing in the Jets anytime soon. Oh, wow. That, that was quite a journey. It's like that, that song, like, I've been everywhere. Man. There you go. <laughs> That's right. I've been in Minneapolis, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, Minnesota. <laughs> Okay, so after okay, you've got some pedigree now with your great cup experience and you yep. know kicking important kicks in important time in important games. But how does a Canadian punter place kicker distinguish himself at an NFL camp with a different game and all that surrounding you? Well, from a financial standpoint, you know, I was I looked at it like this. I'm gonna go to this NFL camp. If I get cut I'm going back to Canada. I'm going to be the highest paid kicker in CFL. I'll make my hundred grand and, you know, everything will be rosy. So when I went to, to Indianapolis, I got a $26,000 signing bonus and I would have, and I got a $15,000 roster bonus. So to me, 41 grand is half a CFL season. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll go down there. The Bill, Bill Polian 
Because the president had a good relationship with uh, Cal Murphy from Winnipeg, and Murphy apparently had told Bill, "Listen, you got to take this guy." So I, uh, I went down to Indianapolis. I competed again. I competed as a punter and a kicker, which is very rare. I if I beat out the punter, I'm the punter. If I beat out the kicker, I'm the kicker. I had an offer to to punt in Green Bay, but the signing bonus was five grand. So I took the Indianapolis uh, offer. The bad news is both punter and kicker were in the Pro Bowl the year before. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a little bit of an uphill battle. But the crazy kind of ironic story is that the kicker, he was in New Orleans a couple years ago, and Jim Mora Sr. cut him. And now Jim Mora Sr. is our coach. So now the kind of the tables have turned to where the other kicker has got a relationship with the head coach that may be not be ideal. So and then Bill Polian coming in, I think the theory was that he wanted to put his stamp on things. Kerry Blanchard was there the year before. If, if Bill could come in and bring in some kicker that's his. But, I mean, I didn't miss in preseason, so I made a 51-yarder and a 49-yarder in a preseason game against the Bengals. So, you know, you sit in the hotel room waiting for that call that says, hey, you're our kicker or you're going home. So, you know, at some point Sunday night when the cuts had to be made, I got a call that says, hey, listen, you're our field goal kicker. Well, Bill and was in. Bill was in Buffalo. You know what? It, yeah, Bill was the guy that that did all the the four Super Bowls. He was the guy that built yeah, those teams. So he would be he would be familiar with the Canadian Football League. So he would have yeah. known you. And I mean, surely to Christ, I mean, these guys, they do a little deeper dive into your background. A Division One player, scholarship player, two major universities, four sport athlete, two championships, kick under pressure. You got big size. So all that's going for you. You do have the pedigree, but surely to goodness, they must have taken that into account. Well, and 14 for 14 in the playoffs. Obviously, the NFL is the magnitude is is massive, right? The 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 scope of what you're doing is 10 times what the CFL is just on a national and global level and dollar signs and fans and yeah. media and TV revenue and all that stuff. So you know, I'm sure that you go 14 for 14 in the playoffs. You know, they realize that you can handle that situation, I'm sure. Well, you, you mentioned last year's playoffs, which I watched. I mean, I love watching the NFL and how all those games came down to the final seconds and a, and a, a kicker kicking a field goal. Yep. And I thought that was fantastic. But for the life of me, Explain to, to, to us and, and the listeners, like, how hard is it to kick, like, a 45-yard field goal? I mean, it's not easy. Yeah. Well, the, the funny – no, it's not. I, I mean, I, I guess it is. It, it, if you do it, it's easy, right? Like, my, my analogy has always been – they're like, oh, my God, how do you kick field goals in the NFL? The pressure, oh, my God. But my answer is, listen – if you know it's going in, it's really not that much pressure. It's like I my analogy is, you know, Tiger Woods is standing on the tee on 18 at, at Augusta with literally 20,000 people on every <laughs> line in the fairways. How on earth does he hit a ball down the fairway and not hit somebody? And it's just like, well, he's like, I'll play a draw off that tree right there and I'll bang it into the middle of the fairway. I'll knock it on the green. I'll two-putt and win the Masters. So for him, it's easy, right? Like for me – it's easy, you know, when you're when you're when you when you kick a ball and you know it's going in, the pressure becomes very minimal. Now, 
when you start spraying them a little bit, now the pressure gets a little bit heavier because now you're not sure it's going in, and that's when you know the the butterflies and the nerves really kick in. So, so Mike, what like obviously soccer must have really helped you with your the ability to kick field goals and and that sort of thing. Was there anything else you did that? But well, you played everything. I mean, uh, we talked uh, up at Blue Mountain. I think you played every sport there was. Um, was there anything else, any other sport that perhaps kind of helped you become that better kicker? Or was it well, mainly, no, I mean, the, mainly the soccer? I think soccer is the number one. Being a goalkeeper, I think, and the way we take our goal kicks, technically oh, yeah, okay. you, you, you lean to the left and you kind of slide through it and – I coach kickers and punters, and, you know, I've got a kicker in Scottsdale that I work with that he's a goalie, and he literally kicks exactly how I would train a kid, that if you could engulf this mentality. And when 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 kickers come to me, I'll be like, okay, did you grow up playing soccer? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, good. Picture this as a soccer ball and now bang it through the uprights because your buddy's running down the field and he's going to go score a goal, but you got to send the ball to him. And it becomes, right. oh, okay, you know, it's don't overthink it, right? It, it may look like a football, but the, the technique is so much soccer related. And I would say, listen, fr from a pressure standpoint, I, I played basketball and always wanted the ball in my hand. So, um, you know, from a pressure standpoint, the desire for me to control my own destiny, um, you know, when you have such little input on a football game as a kicker, when you do have that input, you better take advantage of it. Yeah, I was a, I was a pretty goddamn lousy uh, uh, basketball <laughs> player. I can tell you that. <laughs> Mind you, you're six five. I'm six one. You got a bit of an advantage, but I could shoot. I could shoot, but dribbling was like dribbling with like my feet. I mean, it was, I was terrible. That's um, hilarious. Hey, no, Mike, I want to ask. We've asked. I think you did all right for yourself, Rick. By the way. You were, the, you were the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know. I never knew okay. that. You know, the, the uh, now we ask hockey players all the time: Was there a play, a moment, event, a comment from someone? You looked at yourself later at home and just said, "I finally made it." Look, every my first kick in the NFL was a fifty-one-yard field goal. I mean, it's not a chip shot, and. Not at all. <laughs> We're playing the Miami Dolphins. Dan Marino's on the other side. You know, it's the first quarter. You know, it's it's not a big kick. But to me, you know, when you're a CFL kid and you now got this job and now it's the regular season and now you're walking out there for a 51-yarder and the uprights look a little narrower from way back there. <laughs> it's like hitting a pole with a bell on top that you're trying to – so. I'm standing over this kick, and I'm, and the only thing I could think about was, oh, my God, my heart is pounding. My shoulder pads are going boom, 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 boom. Instead of concentrating on the kick, I'm like, wow, my heart is is really – and, I I mean, I, I banged it halfway up the net, which it probably would have been good from 65, you know. But I honestly treated every kick as if it was my last. I, I made my first, I think, 15 of 16 in the, in the NFL because I just didn't want to miss – I didn't want to give them a, a reason to get rid of me. And if you keep making them, they're not going to get rid of you. Well, uh -huh. I was going to say, if a guy misses a block or a tackle, it'll show up in the films or maybe even left undetected and the public will have no clue. You miss a convert or field goal and everyone watching, including all your teammates and the other team mm -hmm. and the millions watching on TV right away, 
look at that guy. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, you play <laughs> two plays a game. But if you go 0 for 2, you cost them the game. And you're just like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> for 58 minutes, I stood on the sideline. How can I be responsible for the game? But that's just the nature of the business. Well, that was, like, that was like here. last. That was like last night's hockey game. Like eight six. I mean, yeah. you know, one goalie gets pulled, the other gets hurt, the other guys struggle, and all of a sudden, fourteen goals are scored, which is in the playoffs that's unheard of. Right. Everybody <laughs> thinks you you got to have that hot goalie to win the Stanley Cup, right? Like Montreal last year with Price, they got to yeah. the finals because of him. Yeah. Well, Colorado just made the two-point conversion, that's all. <laughs> that's, that's right. They scored the touchdown and went for two. So Now, Mike, Squid and I have done some deep research here, and uh -oh. we've, unco we've uncovered one story I'm sure you've never been asked about before. It goes all the way back to 2002, postseason elimination. You made a couple critical comments about your coach, Tony Dungy, and a young <laughs> nanny. How did that all unfold? Now, apparently it happened on Canadian TV, and he's looking around. I'm not familiar with what you're talking about, Mike. I know. I got found it. Well, I don't, I don't want to throw gas on the fire, but, you know. No, the, no, no, don't. The problem with me is, if, if you may have learned this by now, and I'm sure Rick has, if you oh, ask yeah. me a question, I'm going to tell you the answer, right? Like, <laughs> but there's two sides to that when – when you're just Mike from Oakville, you don't really think that what you say matters, right? Like you, yeah. you don't, sometimes you don't think before you speak. And, you know, if there was one regret I have in life, it's, it's probably that one. But, uh, you know, it, Peyton and I have the same birthday. And this March 24th, I got a text from Peyton Manning saying happy birthday. So that's, that's, and, and the other story, the other quick funny story is that uh, I was in New Orleans and I went to the Manning restaurant for dinner and i texted peyton before i walked in i was like listen i'm okay in here right like i'm allowed to go, i'm allowed to go to your restaurant aren't i <laughs> so you he said of course you are put put the bill on archie so it was uh a, when when peyton came back and said what he said and obviously poured gas on the fire and the whole media makes a magnitude out of you know two teammates who probably should have said nothing you know, the next time I saw Peyton in the weight room, I walked over to him and I was like, dude, what were you thinking? And he was like, what was I thinking? What were you thinking? And I was like, yeah, good, good point. So uh, we buried it pretty quickly. I, I went and met with Dungy. That was a non-issue. Tony and I still talk today. But the media wants to think that, you know, everybody hates everybody. And that's just really not not the case. Why you don't well, have you know, to answer it, it is funny, though, that you mentioned that because yeah. – you know, young players, young hockey, NHL players, young NFL players, young uh, NBA players, they make mistakes. They say things sometimes they shouldn't. They make mistakes on the field or on the court. Yep. And, you know, and, and I mean, they don't know how to deal with it sometimes. And and they say things that perhaps they, if they had a thought about it, they wouldn't have said. And But that's just about growing up, right? Well, it's, it's crazy that... Some people have a green light and can say anything they want. Charles Barkley, Shaq. Well, yeah. Those, you know, those kind of guys can just – they can throw shade to whoever they want. Other guys throw shade, and they're the worst person in the world. I'm not sure how that works, but um, anyway, it, it, and you're right. You know, every – show me somebody who's perfect. And, and Yeah, exactly. 
a lot of there's a lot of shit in that closet do you think that person's perfect so you know do yeah. i regret it absolutely um do i like peyton absolutely but we had just lost 41 to nothing i think it was to the jets and i was annoyed i was annoyed at how we played i was annoyed you know and again it goes back to the fact that i'm a freaking fierce competitor i i didn't want to just be in the nfl i wanted to be the greatest kicker in the nfl and anything less was unacceptable and when you lose 41 nothing and you're standing on the sidelines watching the debacle it pissed me off hey listen that, i'll bet you i I, I I i can imagine it did <laughs> no but i'll bet you there was a few and you don't have to answer but i'll bet you there was a few guys that didn't disagree with what you were saying and uh you know you get in any political environment like that with players and guys speak up a lot of guys don't have the guts to say it and you did now here's where i'm going to give you your your dues as a good Canadian guy, because as a good Canadian kid, you stepped up and backed it up in 2003 because you didn't miss and you carried that over to 2004. So you backed up your words. I certainly talked myself into a corner and I kicked myself out of it for sure. <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't miss at the end of 01. I, I went all the way through 02 playoffs and into 03. I mean, it was a long stretch between misses. So, um, you know, there was a couple in there that I can tell you about that, you know, when you make 42 in a row, you get you got lucky a couple times. I We had a we had a Monday night game against the Buccaneers. We were down 21 with four minutes left in Tampa. Oh. It's Tony Dungy's birthday. He used to coach for the Bucs. Literally, we're down 21 with four minutes left. Yeah. Okay. They leave Marvin Harrison open. Peyton hits him for a touchdown. I kick an onside kick. We recover the onside kick. We go down. No, it started with they they scored to go up 21, and Brad Pyatt, our kick returner, returned it 96 yards to the four. Yeah. We score the touchdown. I kick an onside kick. We recover. You know, we they leave Marvin open. Now we're down seven with, I think, you know, even two minutes left. It was so fast. We We get the ball to them. They don't do anything. Peyton goes down. We go into overtime. And now I've made 18 in a row out of my 42 at this point. We're going into overtime, 39-yard field goal. I miss. But Simeon Rice, the defensive lineman for the Buccaneers, leapt to try to block the kick and landed on one of his own players, which is like, it, one, it's illegal, right? You can't, you can't jump and land on your own player because it's like elevating the guy to try to make the kick better block the kick so the miss obviously gets taken off the board we move up 15 yards and now it's a 24 yarder the guy coming off the right edge i chunked the field goal the guy coming off the edge tips it and actually tipped it in off the inside of the upright and in <laughs> and that's how we win the game Everybody's like, oh, my God. And I'm looking at it like that's the worst kick I've ever made. And here we are celebrating that I've kicked this game-winning field goal. And it was awful. And then the next week, we had a home game, and I hit the other upright that went in. So when you make 42 in a row, you get lucky. Yeah. Now, well, but, I guess but, that's why you were a good goal scorer when you played hockey. Yeah, you banged <laughs> him off the post, right? <laughs> well, and then – with all the good always comes the bad. Now, talk about this one, too. I thought it was kind of comical, actually. And I, I think I remember when you did this, too. You missed the 46-yard field goal in the playoffs against Pittsburgh in 05-06. Yeah. 
But then, yeah, I know we have to bring these up. Occasionally. <laughs> you miss occasionally, like, by the way. I like Even talking to Double Deuce more than you. <laughs> Even a comedian misses occasionally. But the David Letterman, who was an Indianapolis fan, had you on the show and he did that kick in the outside. I thought that was pretty – like, how did that all come about? And then the aftermath. Well, for starters, um, the 05 season with Indianapolis, I couldn't make a thing. Practice, I was awful. I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. Everybody thinks that this Pittsburgh kick was like, oh, my God, he was never the same after the Pittsburgh kick. I was never the same before the Pittsburgh kick. I literally had no idea what I was doing in practice, in priest games. I was a mess. And yet, in 19 games in that season, I missed a total of two field goals. The Pittsburgh kick and a, pit and a Monday night game against the Rams are the only two. So I don't know what happens in games where you just kick it and before you know it, it's over. But I, I, I missed two field goals the entire season. Um, so I had zero confidence going into the Pittsburgh kick. It had nothing to do with pressure. It had yeah. nothing to do with anything other than the fact. It's like if you play golf and you lost your swing, there's, there's literally nothing you can do about it. You're going to close your eyes and swing and hope it ends up in the fairway. And it didn't. So I uh, – the David Letterman show uh, contacted the Colts. Now Bill Polian and I are not friends anymore prior to the kick, after the kick. We really didn't get along that well because at, to some extent you have to play the game, right? You have to be politically correct and you have to say and do all. And I just wasn't that guy. So before you know it, he was like, listen. So I was out of Indy. I was an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. I wasn't going to sign back there whether I made the Pittsburgh kick or didn't make the Pittsburgh kick. I was out. I didn't want to be there, and they didn't want me there, which is fine. So when the Letterman show contacted the Colts, it became, listen, do not go on this show, Bill Poling is telling me. You cannot go on a show that a comedian controls the narrative. And I was just like, well, I'm going on. <laughs> so... <laughs> I brought my I brought my my long snapper and my holder, who are two of my best friends, Hunter Smith, Hunter the punter, and Justin Snow are two of my best friends still today. Um, I brought them to New York. We went to a show the the night before. They're having a great old time. They got no discipline whatsoever for joining me in this extravaganza of the Letterman show. I get released, but anyway, I was gone anyway. So. Um, it was, you know, they, they brought out uprights, you know, a block from Broadway. I've got a picture in my phone of David Letterman holding the field goal from 46. They measured it off. You know, I, I made the kick. And the joke was to me, between me and my holder, I'm like, well, I made it with him holding and I didn't make it with you holding. So who, in fact, is at fault here? But uh, it was uh, it was it was pretty cool. It was one of those moments where you're like, fuck it. You know, you, yeah. you don't get a once in a lifetime opportunity to go on David Letterman and yeah. nobody's going to, nobody's going to take that away from me. No matter what the reason was I was on in the first place. You can't <laughs> well, make I them mean, all. Hey. You can't make them all. As much as I would love to have made yeah. them all, I didn't. No, so. I mean, Hey, it, it, it's just, I mean, that's sports. It's, uh, it's every sport. I mean, you're not, you know, whether you're a goal scorer or, or whatever the case might be, you're, it's not going to happen all the time. You can't score every time you shoot the puck. I mean, well, and, and goalies, I mean, to me, pitchers in baseball, kickers in football, and goalies in hockey are individual positions in a team sport. 
right? Yeah. There, there are three of those positions where you solely, and maybe quarterback to some extent, but they they're a lot more they're a lot more team related than a pitcher and a goalie and a kicker. Yeah, I'm sure I, there's I plenty of goalies out there that those that one goal that, that that they lose sleep over, they wish they had back, right? That that knuckleball that they should have stopped, and it goes in the back of the net, and you lose the game. Well, you know, again, you can't take it back. You're not perfect. You're gonna make you're gonna make saves that people are like, you're the greatest goalie ever. I mean, just like Mike over here wants to talk about Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm the most accurate. I retire as the most accurate kicker in history. He wants to bring up freaking Pittsburgh. I want to bring up. I want to bring up you going against management and kicking the ball like you did. That's, that's right. what I like about the story. I just but, like to know. I like to know how the hell those four goalies are feeling today that played last night. That's, oh, that's right. They, they, they certainly are a reason why they got to the Western Conference Finals, aren't they? So you, well, you can't dog them for not getting them there. But yeah, they had a bad night. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Pitch, the pitchers give up three run homers. You know, by the way, the I, guy who's your boss, Bill Polian, or whoever it is, if it's a Jerry yep. McNamara or if it's Kyle Dubas, he's employed by somebody also. So he's got to report to somebody. So yep. his job is at stake if things under him don't work well. So he's your best buddy while you're kicking 42 in a row. You start missing some and he forgets your first name. Real 100%. Yeah. That is the nature of sports. Right? Absolutely. You're, and the second you're not on that team anymore, they forgot your name and they have no idea where you are or what you're doing and they don't care. Because they're protecting their own ass, too. Of course. Yeah. You know, at some point, Austin Matthews won't be a Toronto Maple Leaf anymore. And, you know, there's nothing he can do for the team that's on the ice. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread right now. You know, but at some point in his Hall of Fame career, he'll he'll be doing other things. Now, along those lines, Mike, who is the guy or guys, and I'm sure you have a number of them, who you observed over the years that carried themselves the right way, played the game to the best of their ability, respected teammates, and was a real pro away from the stadium as well? Uh, I would say Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison are probably two of those guys that, you know, you just look at and go, man, good dudes, good teammates, good friends of mine, fantastic, both Hall of Famers, and you literally never hear a thing about them outside of the locker room. You know, Edger and James is also – Mm-hmm. It's funny. My dad and I were watching the Colts do the draft in '99 after I had been there a year, and everybody was like, "Ricky Williams, Ricky Williams, Ricky Williams." Everybody wants to take Ricky Williams, and we had the second pick of the draft, and we're, we we take Edger and James, and I'm just like, "Who?" You know, dreadlocks, gold teeth, and you're just like, "Oh my god!" And and the second you realize when you meet them, don't judge a book by its cover because Edger and James is a good dude. He lives in Naples. When I was living in Marco Island, we we owned a restaurant together. And he is absolutely a fantastic human being. He's a great father. He's got a bunch of kids, but he's a good dad. And uh, he's another guy that busted his ass on the football field and then lived the right way off it. So, you know, there's a few right there. You know, I like, I love that, you know, thing about don't, judge a book by its cover you know so many people fans especially are so quick to judge when they don't even know the damn people that are that they're watching on tv or in the stadium or whatever the case might be and and unfortunately uh you know guys get bad reputations because of that and you know it it affects them mentally 
physically, whatever. I mean, but, uh, you know, I, I feel the same way. I mean, it's like, unless you are with that person on a daily basis, you, you don't know them. Well, and I'm going to say this about you and I. So, you know, social media is just everybody's got computer muscles, right? Keyboard muscles to where I'm the worst person in the world. Well, I would say Rick Vive sitting here probably goes, you know what? Vanderjack's a pretty good dude. Yeah. And, and people will go, man, Rick, he's, he's a little bit crispy, right? Like you can't really, you know, he's got that edge to him. He's not that nice of a guy. I'll be like, listen, I had Rick Vive rolling on the floor <laughs> at dinner the other night. And he is absolutely not what you would think he is, you know? So social media and, and perception in general is very distorted. My stomach muscles are still sore. <laughs> am, I allowed to say, am I allowed to say double deuce what you were looking for under my chair or not? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we're sitting there having dinner and all of a sudden Rick is digging under my chair. And I'm just like, what the hell? And he picks up his teeth and dunks it in his wife's water glass and then puts it back in his mouth. And we were like, oh, my God, you were looking for your teeth. That's freaking hilarious. <laughs> well, you got to take them out when you eat or else they're going to break. <laughs> we'll end up in your burger. Yeah. Now, uh, well, the other thing you guys got going for you, too, is people are going to say, oh, if Mike Wilson likes these two guys and he can hang around with them, you got to be pretty good dudes. And, uh, you know, and you guys are still well, with me. So, you know, you guys are, doesn't fall guys far are... from the tree, right? So if, if you're that guy then and we're still here, then clearly, clearly we're good people. If Mike you, Wilson. Hey, you got that right, Mike. Now, listen, all those bodies and all those eagles in the dressing room, we go through this with the hockey players all the time. Any pranksters on your teams that you guys played with? I mean, I, I think actually Peyton Manning was probably the biggest prankster. I, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask that. I had, a, I had a Nerf basketball hoop over my net, so we're always shooting hoops and just doing silly stuff, playing horse. And the next thing you know, Peyton, with his, with his unit tucked in between his legs, jumps and grabs the ball and dunks it, and all the black guys are like, oh, my God, you white guys are nasty. <laughs> And that, and then I've, and I also have this big black chair. Everybody's got these normal little chairs. Well, I had a big black recliner, and then I had a Jordan jersey framed, and it was sitting at my locker. It got dropped off, and then I've got a picture of a, a rookie sitting on my chair, buck naked, with the Jordan framed jersey sitting in his lap because Peyton made him do it. So. His nasty ass was on my chair holding the Jordan jersey. So, <laughs> if anything, Peyton was was the guy that stirred the stirred the juice in the locker room for sure. So yeah, I mean, because you know you're dealing with a lot of big egos there, and like you know the way things work in a football team, you know guys' jobs are aren't as secure as they are sometimes in other sports. So, you know, messing with a guy really could cause some friction, I'm sure, in a room if you go the wrong way. Well, I, I think, you know, locker room talk as it's become more more prevalent in the world is, is very true, right? Like when you sit there with 80 guys. That's right. And that some many? are from here, some are from there. Some have had a silver spoon in their mouth from Oakville. Some are from, you know, wherever. There's so many different personalities that you almost have to check yourself to get in the locker room. You better be thick-skinned because – in that locker room, anything goes. It really does. It's <laughs> you can say anything, you can do anything. Maybe not so much anymore, but 
especially with phones, because now you'll get recorded out the yin yang. But um, you know, you you just better be thick skinned because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. One, we want to be great at what we do. Two, we want to win, and three, we want to make as much money as we can at the time. So, you know, those things all encompassed in the locker room. At the end of the day, we all realize what our what our goals are. Why? Well, you know, it's you got to look at funny. You, you mentioned that, Mike, because so many times I've I've talked about Toronto, Montreal, yeah. as two places that if you don't have thick skin, you can't play in that oh, no. atmosphere. I mean, it's just not going to work. And, you know, I mean, when you're playing for the Maple Leafs and you don't have thick skin and you can't handle what the press are saying about you, you're going to have trouble getting on that ice and performing the way you should be. Well, you know, so. I, I mean, there's there's Toronto and Montreal, and then there's probably the Yankees, Red Sox, and maybe the yeah. Dallas Cowboys are just those teams where you better have your shit together because you are going to get lambasted on a yeah. national level if you don't. And Indianapolis is not that team, right? It's small city. You know, you got one or two reporters in the locker room where Toronto, you probably have, you know, 10 to 20 guys standing there with microphones in your face <laughs> going, what the hell happened, Vive? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. it could be worse, you know. You could be those two dopey baseball players who are fighting, getting in a fist fight on the field over fantasy football. <laughs> you could do that too. Yeah, you, you don't want to be that guy either. That's the world. That's the world we cut. Well, Mike, we're getting down to the final few moments. We can't thank you enough for joining us today. But what I do want to touch on is that you and Rick, one of these, you guys come up with a possible, I don't want to say a reality show, but a reality possibility <laughs> that you two sort of bonded over. Maybe you could share that little bit of a teaser with the listeners. Mike, holy cow, it's such a gem of an opportunity. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to tell you, but uh, I will say this. Rick and I have a very similar outlook when we are driving. Okay. And the people that the least. and the people that surround us. Okay. We we handle things very similarly. Um, so the Vive and Vandy vacation is a very real opportunity to get a little dive into who we are when we're behind the wheel. Um, we have a lot of ideas that we would like to surround this. And listen, Rick, here's what I want to do. Okay, I will tell you this, that we want to have a famous person call every episode. Okay, one famous person. So I'm thinking we start with Peyton and Peyton calls and go, hey, Vandy, how are you? And I'll be like, hey, Vandy, it's Peyton. How are you? I'll be like, Peyton? Manning, you know, quarterback. And he's like, hey, Peyton, how are you? <laughs> so, so we're going to have the Leaf captains call and they're going to go, Hey, squid. It's Daryl. And they're, you're going to go, Daryl, you know, Sittler, captain, Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, Hey, Daryl, how are you? <laughs> I got another one for you too, is that, I mean, obviously you must know some, some guys you played with across Canada. Oh yeah. I do. Yeah. We, we make a stop and we go in and visit these guys and we, have a little even, conversation. And... Even better, Rick. Even better. I just thought of this. Whoever it is, we get them to cut us off, <laughs> and then we get on the. And now we go on the side road and we step out of the car, and it's and it's so and so standing there that's pissed us off. That'd be a good. That'd be that would be a good <laughs> twist. 
I like that one. That's good. Somebody <laughs> cut you off. You get out there going to that, somebody you know. That's actually that is pretty good. Oh, listen, we, we are sitting on a gold mine. Listen, <laughs> I, it's, I think it's a great idea. It's fantastic. We could raise money for charity going cross country. Listen, it's it's we just need to we need to package it nice and put it in front of the right people. And you're right, we're gonna drive a Volkswagen because Vandy and Vive make VW. Yeah, so we're gonna have one of those. We're gonna have one of those hippie vans that are from the '70s with our tie dye headbands on. I had the I had the laugh. I think the biggest laugh, one of the biggest laughs I had, is my wife said, "Well, I'd love to see the fast food junk that'll be in the back of that oh, vehicle." Geez. And right away, right away, Mike goes. Oh, no, 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 no. We're getting sponsors, man. We're going to be eating in restaurants. <laughs> if Tim Hortons wants us to eat some Timbits, then they're going to say, okay, let's let's sponsor the show. Now I'll Absolutely. eat all the Timbits you want. Don't give away all the ideas on the air, guys. Let's get it all in place first. That's some good, yeah. great ideas there. Yeah, okay, that's good. Mike? Okay. We just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Fantastic. Squid was not wrong about you one iota. You were absolutely Good. perfect. Good. Thank you for being so candid and direct. Uh, we do want to talk to you again about the NFTs at some point as we yep. progress further. And listen, all the best in the future moving along with this. So listen, Mike, as much as I enjoyed our conversation, you are with the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I am... <laughs> Very thankful to be friends with Rick Vive. Rick freaking Vive that is right there. So I appreciate the time, fellas. Okay, thanks.